all my caffeine people at? All the coffee people wave at me. All right, all the locations. I love coffee. Um, I don't drink it as much as maybe I sound like, but if it's available, I'll drink it. And I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a caffeine snob. I'll drink a K-cup, Folgers. Really, I have really no strong preference. If I, if I have a choice, I'm gonna get Starbucks. I'm just used to it. And when I go to Starbucks, I get the same thing every single time. I get a venti, which I'm from Alabama, so that's a large. That's all we say is large. I get a large, sugar-free vanilla latte with an extra shot. I, it was weird. Last night, someone actually clapped for that. It was odd. I'm like, okay, let's... <laughs> but something happened again, because oftentimes when I get coffee, honestly, it's not me buying it. My assistant will go, or my wife will run for us, or if I go, I'm buying for two or three or four, five people and you know, getting it in a group. Rarely do I go and just buy my cup of coffee. Well, I went several weeks ago, went through the drive-thru, purchased what I normally get. Let me get a large sugar-free vanilla latte with an extra shot. And I noticed as soon as the total came up that it was a little bit higher than I'm used to. I think it was a little more than a dollar than the last time I remember paying for it. Everything is going up. But here's what's crazy is quickly and subconsciously, it was just like, I still want it. If they would have said it was $2 more, I just, it's, come on, it's Starbucks, baby. It's worth it. $3 more. It was just amazing under the surface how I could just, yeah, I'm, I'm for it. Now, $4, if it was $10 a cup, I'm out. I do have a limit. But I don't know if you realize this, but all of us at every campus, every location, we are all natural negotiators. You may not realize it. It lies so far under the surface of our psyche and our ability that we can look at a situation, we can look at a relationship, we can look at a transaction, and immediately we can des decide, is that worth it? I would say it this way if you're taking notes today, which I would encourage you to. People are quick to assign value. We are quick to assign value. Not just coffee, it starts all the way back, this ability to be a natural negotiator, it starts all the way when you're children. As children, children negotiate, watch this, they negotiate the trade between discipline and disobedience. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody, anybody here have a parent that would tell you, don't make me come up there? Now, when we were kids, I had two older brothers. We were in one room together, so we made some ruckus when we would go to bed. And if mom ever said, hey, y'all better go to bed or I'm gonna come up there, right away, you know what we did? Natural negotiation. Mom, number one, ain't coming up here. And if she does come up here, she's a softie, nothing's really, we're just gonna get another. So we would, we would negotiate, is it worth it to keep staying? Now, if dad said, come on, I got some grace, so I go to back in the day. Back in the day when parents, when dad said, don't make me come up there or you'll be sorry, you know what happened? We were sorry. <laughs> my, uh, I'll never forget this, my dad used to wear a belt that all the way around it were rows of three rivets. Now, I got stories that would send my dad to prison. Children's services would be all up on that. <laughs> really, I'm, I'm teasing, but I'm not. But if we got spanked, <laughs> It looked like an octopus attacked us. <laughs> but you would negotiate. You negotiate it whether you know it or not. You assign value to the value of driving fast. If you speed, wave at me. Jesus knows, go ahead, he knows. You ain't hiding it. <laughs> what do we do? We get on and the speed limit's 55, but we'll do 60 because it's worth it. If I get pulled over, I probably, what are we doing? We're negotiating, we're assigning value. And all of us, we do it in everything we do. When we get a job, we assign value. Is what they're asking me to do, is it worth it for what they're giving me? Our entire life, whether you realize it or not, people are quick to assign value. Here's the problem. While people are quick to assign value, it's not always accurate. 
We assign value all the time. We're just not as good at it, good at it as we think. I'll give you a great example. Uh, again, the church I'm at now, we've been there about 12 years. And before that, we were at a church also for about 12 years. At my previous church, there was a great lady there. Man, I seen her come to Jesus. God did says great things in her life. And she would stop by actually the office from time to time and we would just chat for a few minutes. And I'll never forget one day, I'm sitting in my office. My assistant rings in and says, hey, Shirley's here to see you. She has something for you. Do you have me? I said, sure. Walked out, hugged Shirley's neck. We talked for a minute. She came in and when she walked in, she had a stack of books. Now I'm a book hound. I love to read. And she says, Pastor, these belong to my uncle. He was a preacher for years, and I thought you would enjoy these for your library. And it was a set of five commentaries, two on the Old Testament, two on the New Testament, and one commentary just on the book of Revelation. And it was a cool-looking set, and I put it in my library. I looked smarter just because it was sitting on the shelf. And I had probably at that time about 3,000 volumes, and it wasn't long after that, maybe six months or so, that I decided to clean out my library. And so what did I do? I immediately started going book to book assigning value. I don't need that book. That book, some of the information's out of date. That's a good book, I'll keep, pitch. And I got all the books that I didn't want in my library anymore. I set them out in an office. And I told the church, hey, if you want some books, go through them, take whatever you want, it's free. People rooted through them and the stack of books that were left, I threw away. Well, fast forward. We leave this church, we come to the church we are, and about five years ago, I get a phone call. My assistant says, hey, there's a lady, says she's from your previous church, her name is Shirley, and she wanted to talk to you. I said, man, Shirley, sure, put her through. And she says, hey, Pastor Steve, this is Shirley. I said, hey, Shirley, how are you? She said, hey, I just wanted to call you. She said, hey, do you remember that set of books I gave you several years ago? Yeah, and that's how I felt. I was like, yeah, I remember. And she said, well, I just want to let you know. She said, I was watching the Antique Roadshow. And she said, this set of commentaries comes on, and she said, I reckon, I was very familiar, I recognized immediately that that was the very set of commentaries that I gave you. And they ascribed the value, and they said, here's the thing, that there are some of these sets that exist, but most of them have lost the book of Revelation, that if you have a complete set, they estimated that it's worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000. And she's like, <laughs> she didn't ask if I still had them, because I'd have lied. What good is grace if you don't use it? I think Paul said that in Romans <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> she said, I don't want them back. She said, I just wanted to call and tell you, you probably need to go get these checked out and get them evaluated. And I was like, hey, Shirley, thanks so much. But my point is, looking at that book, it just looked like another set of books. While we are quick to assign value, we are not always accurate. And it is the tension between our perceived value and actual value that creates some of the greatest heartache in our lives. Think about relationships that some of you in this room or some of you at our campuses have gone through, that you overpaid for a relationship. You invested in somebody, come on girls, all your friends said he's no good, don't date him, don't spend time with him, and you put a value on him that was much higher than he deserved. And here you are three months, six months, a year later, brokenhearted because you quick to assign value, but not always accurate. And the flip side is true as well, that sometimes we undervalue. We have relationships in our life, and maybe it's your spouse, in fact, maybe some of you in this room, you're on the backside of a divorce and there's a lot of complications that go into something like that, a relationship falling apart, but I can promise you on some level, it's because you undervalue the most significant relationship in your life. So that tension exists in all of us. Again, we're quick to assign value. We're quick to assign value. We're just not always accurate. So here's what I tell you. Let me give you a great leadership principle. Since our value perception can be low, our negotiation should be 
Now, in my church, when I stop, that means we all read together. So I didn't know that. Well, now we know. Let's try that. Every voice at every campus, since our value perception can be, our negotiation should be. So that natural ability we have to make quick decisions, that's a gift. You should use it. But I just want you to know something. The higher the cost or the higher the consequences, the slower you should make a decision. We need to sometimes pull back and we need to lean into wisdom. We need to lean into conversations. In fact, if you're here and you're not even a Christian, Someone invited you and you're just kicking the tires on faith. You have more questions than you have answers. This still applies to your life. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you get the privilege of leaning into the Holy Spirit and listening to his wisdom. But there are times if you rush into a a decision, you'll make a bad decision. Because again, while we're quick to assign value, we're just not always accurate. So with that in mind, I wanna share a parable that Jesus teaches us. And his point as we lean into this is he understands because he's wired us. He knows our ability to make quick assets, assignments of value, and he knows we're not good at it. So he brings a couple things to the forefront of our attention as Christ followers and says, here's some things that if you're not careful, you'll undervalue. And he gives us a negotiation conversation, and it's found right here. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells two parables back to back, one verse each, and they're sister, they're twin parables, and you'll see it as we read them. Let's read this together. Every campus, every location, every voice. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Next one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Now, this is a pretty incredible parable, both of these. But anytime you read a parable, it's important you understand where you are in the parable. A parable is something that Jesus used, other people used it, but Jesus, because he's a master teacher, he mastered the use of the parable. A parable is taking things that are familiar to teach the things that are unfamiliar. It's taking the things that are common in culture and leveraging to think about things that are common in the kingdom. It's taking things that everybody knows to teach us about the things that we need to know. And so Jesus gives us these, and again, anytime you read a parable, you need to know where are you in the parable. Because we are naturally, the same way we're natural negotiators, we naturally put ourselves in stories. We do it every story we read, we watch. Let me give you some examples of this. How many people remember way back in the day seeing the movie Rocky? Wave at me if you've seen Rocky. Now, if you're younger, you're like, what? Anybody seen Creed? All right. Anybody remember when you're watching Rocky? I remember as a kid, da-da-da. It's the eye of the tiger. And I'm like, you walk out of a Rocky movie thinking, I hope somebody bumps into me. Because you walk out of Rocky, and what have you done? You've inserted yourself in the story, and you think you are the toughest cat on the planet because we assert ourselves in a story. I did it with Top Gun, the new Top Gun movie. I watched that. I'm just telling you. I walked out. I was already speed dialing the Navy to see, am I too old to get in a fighter pilot? Because I'm pretty sure I can fly one and save the world. We insert ourselves in stories, books we read. Here's the problem, is when we assign ourselves a position in a story, we often misassign who we really are. I'm not Rocky. We do this as church people. One of the most familiar stories in all of scripture is the story of David and Goliath. And we read that as Christians and we think, I'm David. And I've walked out on the battlefield of life and I've slayed my giant. No, you're not. 
You are not David. We are the scared, shaking in our boats soldiers standing on the sideline, too fearful to go out and attack the enemy that's attacking us. But thankfully, Jesus, he is our David. He defeated our enemy, and he gave us the victory that we could never get on our own. That's who you are in the story. Moses led God's people out of the land of bondage, out of Egypt, into the promised land. And we read that and we think, I'm a leader like Moses. I'm Moses. No, you're not. You're the complaining Israelite that wants to keep going back into the land of bondage. But Jesus is our Moses. He is our deliverer. He is the one who's delivered us into the land of promise, into the land of freedom. Come on, somebody. So, in every story, you have to know your role. So when you read the parables, more than a Rocky movie, more than a book you read, and more than even sometimes other places in Scripture, when Jesus teaches by parable, you need to know your role. Who are you in the parable? Let me tell you, give you a couple examples, because in the parables that Jesus teaches, which is around 40, Jesus, because he's such an incredible teacher, the Bible says nobody ever taught with such authority. I mean, he's the living word. He had such handles on the Bible, on the word, because he was the living word. So imagine the level he taught it. He does this thing, and I believe he only does it three times, where he takes a parable, and your role changes based on where you are in your spiritual journey. An example of it is the story of the Good Samaritan. I want to read it to you, and I want you to see what Jesus does. Again, your job is to know your role. Where are you in the story? Watch this, Luke chapter 10 The story is, again, there's a guy who is on his way to Jericho. He gets jumped. He gets mugged. Depending on what generation you're a part of, he got beat up, beat down, or just beat. He needed a safe space. Come on. (laughs) And he's down on the side of the road, bleeding and bloody, and Jesus tells this parable. He says, all the religious people just stepped over him and went about their way. And Jesus, his point is, what good does religion do you if it doesn't change the way you love people? And his whole point is he gets to this and he says, then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The question is, who are you in the story? Well, it depends on where you're at in the spiritual journey. Because before you come to Christ, Jesus is the good Samaritan. And we are the person beaten and broken and battered on the side of the road. We have been body slammed by sin. We have been broken by disappointment. We are overwhelmed by guilt and shame. And there's nothing we can do to heal ourselves. And thankfully, the Father sent a Savior to come and soothe our wounds, to forgive our sins, and to raise us up again. Who are you? You were beaten and broken, and Jesus came and rescued you. Come on. But it depends on where you're at in your spiritual journey. Because once you get saved, once you get rescued, now you're the rescuer. When you read the story as a Christian, it changes. Now no longer is Jesus the Samaritan coming to you, the broken person. Now you're the good Samaritan. Now because you have been saved, you have the responsibility, I have the responsibility, we all have the responsibility to go into our world and come alongside of broken, hurting people and to bring them the hope that only Jesus can bring. I want you to know something, that heal people, heal people. Found people, find people. Save people, serve people. And the point is, if you're broken, Jesus is the one who can heal you. But if you've been healed, now your job is to be a healer as well. Who are you in the story? Depends on where you're at in your spiritual journey. Let me give you another example where Jesus does this. Just last week, Pastor CJ talked about the parable of the... Okay, go ahead. That was a test and y'all passed. He talked about the parable of the sower. Question is, 
You gotta know your role. Who are you in the story? Well, it depends on where you're at in the spiritual journey. Sometimes we are the soil and people are sowing the seed, the word of God into our life, but sometimes we are the sower and we have the responsibility and we have the opportunity to sow seed into other people. And I want you to know something. If Jesus didn't always preach seed that took root in the hearts of people, then don't expect it to always take root in, 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 in people's lives for you. Just because you preach God's word that's your responsibility. It's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to cause it to, to take root. But again, who are you in the story? Sometimes you're the soil, sometimes you're the sower. So with that in mind, I wanna lean into this conversation again that Jesus teaches. And here's the question. So who are you in the parable of the treasure? If we're gonna walk away today saying, Jesus, what is it you want me to glean? What is it you want me to learn? You gotta know your role. Who are you in the parable of the treasure? Well, number one, watch this. Role number one, Jesus is the man, and you're the treasure. This is the heartbeat of the gospel, is that God saw value in you so much so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the heartbeat of what we read. It's the heartbeat of the Jesus we worship. It's the key of the scriptures we read, that Jesus came and rescued us and saved us. He gave his all to make us his children. Like, that's the story. Jesus came, gave everything he had to buy the treasure in the field. So Jesus, he's the man, and you and I are the treasure. There's a story, I don't know if you all seen this, it keeps popping up, it's been around for about a decade now, and every now and then it gets new life and comes back with a new detail. There was a man, back in 2013, his name was James Howell. One morning he wakes up and his wife says, hey listen, the house is a mess, I'm gonna clean all the house, all you have to do is clean your office, it's a mess, please clean your office. And uh, because he's a good husband and marriages can be complicated, he does it. It's another message. <laughs> he wakes up and he decides to go into his office and it's, there's books and boxes and papers, so he cleans it up. And he comes across in his desk, he has two different hard drives. And he says, I don't need two hard drives. And so he decides to throw one of the hard drives away. That night he goes to bed and his wife is happy that he's done his part to keep the house clean. And he thinks to himself, you know what? It's probably not a good idea to throw away a hard drive. I need to get that out. I need to wipe it before I throw it away. Well, I'm already in bed. I'll get it out of the trash tomorrow. I'll clean it then. The next morning, he wakes up, and lo and behold, the trash has already run, and he's missed his opportunity. So he thinks, ah, it's no big deal. It's going to the city dump. Nobody's ever gonna find it. Fast forward about a year after he threw it away, and he decides he needs to log into his crypto account. If you know anything about cryptocurrency, it's not like a typical bank. You have a key to access your crypto, and if you lose that key, you lose access. It can never be recovered. On that hard drive was his crypto key. And so he realizes the tragic mistake he's made because his cryptocurrency was valued at $200 million. And now he can't access There must be a lot of money in this room because y'all didn't even flinch. <laughs> when I read that, I was on the floor like, sweet Jesus, $200 million? Y'all are like, 200 million, that's all? Hmm. I mean, if he needs a loan, have him call me. I don't know what you're getting paid, Pastor CJ, but I feel like it's better than I thought. $200 million? So he comes up with this strategy. He realizes that his trash went to the city dump, and somewhere amongst all this trash, garbage, and human's refuge is his hard drive with the crypto password to $200 million. He tries to get permission. Can I go into the city dump, and can I dig? They refuse him permission because they don't want him to get hurt. So he comes up with another strategy. He decides to raise funds to get seed investors, 
And he offers the city $11 million to buy the property of the city dump so he can go in unhindered and search for his hard drive, and they refuse it. And my point is this, a lot of the city, they just heard about this man who wanted to buy the city dump, and they didn't understand why. Why would anybody pay $11 million for a city dump? It's because he knew there was something hidden in the dump. And this is the story that Jesus is trying to tell us. This is the principle he wants you to learn is that you may not realize it, but the same way there's a $200 million hard drive that a lot of people don't know about, it has tremendous value. You have tremendous value, and you were hidden in the field of brokenness, and Jesus sold everything he had. He gave his very best, even his life, to purchase you and make you children of God forever. Come on, somebody. You, when God looks at you, you are a treasure. I know we live in a world that we want to smile at each other and say, oh, I know I'm worth it. I know I have value. That's not always, always how we feel. Sometimes we go by what's looking back at us in the mirror. Have you ever, anybody else this way? I remember I'm still this way. Anybody ever look in the mirror and you start coming up with a list of things you wish you could change about yourself? I got a list of like 10 things. Some of you might think that's all. I mean, it's my list. <laughs> One is I have incredibly small ears. Can you guys see these things? Zoom in. I mean, you're gonna have to get close to see them. My ears stopped growing at like age four, I don't know. Putting this headset on like it just was falling all over. I'm like, Lord, I wish I could grow those more. I wish I could shrink this. I wish I could change the color. Like, Lord, help me. And we feel like if we don't look a certain way, our value goes down. If our bank account isn't a certain amount, our value goes down. If we're not married yet, if we can't have a, if we can't have a child, like we, we place value on so many other things, how many likes we get, how many followers we have. And Jesus comes along, and I want you to know something. It's not by your likes, it's not by your bank account, it's not by your looks. Your significance has been established by the sacrifice of your Savior, and he has determined that you are valuable. Come on, somebody. If anybody here is thankful for a Savior, I wish y'all would stand to your feet at every campus. Come on, for 30 seconds, can we give God a great sacrifice of praise because he gave his best for us? Come on, somebody. He loves you, he values you, and he gave his all to make you his child. Lord, we thank you for it. Come on. Imagine if you lived your life with that kind of attitude that you are valuable and that you are a treasure. Some of you, you'll never walk through the door of opportunity that God has you until you deem yourself worthy of being that. And you can only see that when you understand that Jesus is trying to say, you are my treasure. God sees you as his treasure, but here's the thing. It's not just you. You are not the only one that is a treasure. Here's what I want you to hear. Here's Jesus' point. Imagine a place. Anytime Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, he's saying imagine a place where every person has a high value. Imagine a place where not just the person who looks at you in the mirror, but every person you encounter throughout your day. Imagine a place where every person has a high value. See, we currently live in a world, and it's not just the world we live in today, it was all the way back during the times of Jesus that it was saturated with sexism, classism, and racism, which is why Paul had to say, we are all one in Christ. Whether we're slave or free, Greek or Jew, it doesn't matter, we are all one in Christ. We live in a current culture that wants to divide us and bring dissension. And we look around, and I'm just honest, we don't always see value. If somebody can't do something for us, or they don't look just like us, we tend to undervalue that person. If you don't, love him, if you don't live in my subdivision, if you don't vote the way I vote, if your skin color isn't the color of my skin, we tend to look at somebody and undervalue them. 
And Jesus steps on the scene, he says, wait a minute, imagine a place where every person has high value. Imagine a place, and the only way you can get there is to stop judging by the standards of this world and judge by the standards of the kingdom where he says, every single person is a treasure to me. I didn't just give my life for you, I gave my life for the entire world. Every person has a high value. I'm the same way you are, and this, this is hard to really live out. I have driven up to lots of, lots of intersections, and I've seen the person holding the sign. Anybody else get really judgy sometimes? Like, I don't wanna be that way. Sometimes I look at a person and I have compassion, like, man, it looks like they're going through a hard time. There have been people that I've helped, but more times than not, that cat needs to go get a job. He looks like he, I mean, if he can sit out there in the heat, he looks well-bodied, well well-able, go get a job. And I just want you to know that not that there's not some things maybe that person needs to do different or could do different, but at the end of the day, sometimes what is behind that is an attitude of looking at somebody and not assigning a proper value. And while someone may not have the same net worth as you, every person has the same kingdom worth as you. Every single person is valuable. Imagine a place where every single person has high value, that every campus they walk into, regardless of where they've been, what they've gone through, what they're currently living in, they have high value. Even the treasure, it was valuable when it was still hidden in the field. People that haven't even come to Jesus yet, they have the same value, the same human dignity as every single person in this room. It was Jesus who established our value by his sacrifice. And he says, imagine how this world would shift if every person you looked at, you knew that God said, they're of the highest value of me. Don't expect it in the world we live in, but it should happen in the church we're a part of. Imagine a place where every person has a high value. I mean, I just think that's absolutely incredible. So, Flip the script now. So again, you gotta know your role. You gotta know like who are you in this story. Jesus comes along and he lets us know like here's, here's what I think about you. I'm the man and you're the treasure. I gave everything that I have, everything that I am to purchase you and make you mine. But then he, again, it flips. Depends on where you're at in your spiritual journey. So before you come to Christ, as you come to Christ, you are the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus is the man who gave everything he had to purchase you. When you say, okay, what's the other role? Watch this. So role number one, Jesus is the man and you're the treasure. But you can read the same parable and you can flip the script. Role number two, you're the man and Jesus is the treasure. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus, he tells these two parables. The first one is a man who goes into a field and finds this treasure. It almost leans itself, lends itself to say that this person wasn't really looking, they almost stumbled across this treasure and left, took all the money they had to went and buy the field to come back and unbury the treasure. This other man tells us that he was looking for treasure. He was out, he was an oyster hunter and came across the perfect, well-rounded oyster with this pearl in it and decided to buy this pearl of great price and make it his own. The difference, if you didn't pick it up, the subtle difference between the two parables is one person wasn't looking and accidentally found treasure, the other person was looking and found treasure. And so when you put yourself in the shoes of number two, that you're the man and Jesus is the treasure, this is what Jesus is trying to tell us, is he wants every single person to find him. And some of us, come on, I celebrate, 96 people gave their lives to Jesus at Northview during Christmas, come on, that's incredible. Your job and my job is to crowd heaven. And I just want you to know this, you may not know this, but this is a fact. 
Some of those 96 people, they got bullied into coming. They got threatened. If you want a Christmas present, you better come to Christmas service with me. They wasn't looking, but they showed up and they found a treasure they didn't even know existed. On the flip side, some of you, you went through an incredible heartache and difficult place in life. And you were looking for a solution for the pain you were carrying. You were looking for an answer that no one else could offer. And you were looking and you found the pearl of great price. So whether you're looking or not looking, Jesus wants all of us to find him as a treasure of our life. But then he says this, and this is so counterintuitive to the rest of the gospel. Imagine yourself, you're the man and Jesus is the treasure. And he says this, the man sold everything. Everybody say everything. Sold everything he had to go and buy the pearl, to go and buy the field where the treasure was hidden. I don't know if you know this, but throughout the scriptures, the Bible tells us that salvation is free. It costs us nothing. Timothy says it, or uh, yeah, Timothy says it this way. Paul, he writes and he says, not by works of righteousness that you have done, but by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. He says that we have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Salvation is 100% free. You can never purchase the gift of forgiveness and salvation that Jesus purchased for us. But then he says this. We went and sold everything we had to buy this gift. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, imagine a place where salvation has a high value. Imagine a place where people operate with this idea that salvation, a gift of having a relationship with your creator, is worth everything you had. See, we live in a time right now that sometimes that that grace is cheap. And man, we'll show up to church, but don't ask too much. I don't wanna give too much. I don't wanna walk away from too much. And what Jesus is saying is the greatest treasure you will ever be is the gift that God sacrificed his son to make you his. And the greatest treasure you will ever own is Jesus Christ being your savior and walking in this incredible journey of salvation. And you will never know how valuable it is until you're willing to lay down all you have to possess it. Imagine a place, imagine a place where salvation has a high value. It'll change how as a church you serve. See, if someone comes up and says, hey man, we... We need you to serve. I don't know, I'm kind of busy. You say, no, salvation is the greatest gift I ever had. I want everybody else to experience. I'm willing to give everything I have. I'm willing to lay it all down. As a church, we're growing too. And coming out of COVID, we were three services at at our uh, broadcast campus. We're back to two, we've grown. We need to go to three. You know why we can't? We don't have enough help. We don't have enough people who are willing to hold babies, park cars, greet guests. And we have a great church, a great volunteer culture, but there's not enough people who understand that salvation has a high price. I was flipping through your social media a few weeks ago and came across this picture, and it was your church on social media celebrating, I think they're called the snow removal team. Are you on the, if you're on the snow removal team, wave at me. Anybody here? I read that, and I two, two immediate thoughts. Number one, thank you, Jesus, that we don't need a snow removal team. Thank you, Lord. One day, the Lord will take you to heaven in the south, but right now, you're stuck in the north. (laughs) But I'll be honest, I thought, wait a minute. There's a group of people that wake up when y'all are still sleeping, when you're just rolling out of bed getting your cake up, and they get here, and they shovel heavy, wet snow, and they chip ice, and they throw salt so you can walk in a building. No, that's a group of people who understand that salvation has a high, I'll clean sidewalks, 
If people can come and experience Jesus, sign me up. Your missions, raising money, giving to the kingdom, sometimes your pastor will cast the vision and say, what would happen if we gave? You're like, I don't wanna give anymore. I got places to go, people to see, things I wanna buy, things are already tight, I don't wanna give anymore. And Jesus, imagine a place where salvation has, I'll give everything I have if people can know the Jesus I know. It's the greatest gift anybody could ever have, ever possess, or ever give. And so Jesus, he's casting this vision. He says, listen to me, I told you, and the apostle Paul tells you, and throughout the word of God, it tells us that salvation is free. And we gotta say, so which is it? Is salvation free or is it costly? And the answer is yes. Salvation is free and will cost you nothing. But living for Jesus will cost you everything. And Jesus is saying, hey, just, just imagine a place. Imagine being a part of a church. Imagine being a part of a faith community where every person has high value, where the person sitting next to you that you don't even know their name has the same value as your pastor. Imagine a place where every person walking in has value and worth and purpose and dignity. Imagine a place where every person places a high value on salvation. Lord, I'll give all I have. I'll do anything you want me to do. I can never repay you. See, we're not trying to earn God's favor. My obedience to Jesus is not my please love me, it's thank you that you already love me. I wanna honor him with the sacrifice of my life because he's given me the greatest gift. And Lord, whatever you require, if other people can find the treasure hidden in the field, then I'll be the man to purchase the field to provide the treasure. Imagine a place. Last thought. If you want the life that Jesus came to give, it'll cost you the life you currently live. Until you understand how valuable you are and until you understand how valuable Jesus is, we will always fall short and miss the best that Jesus came to give us. How many people in this room at all, the, all our campuses would say, I wanna not just imagine a place, I wanna live in a place, I wanna be a part of a place where every person has high value, that salvation has high value. I wanna be a part of a place where not the kingdom's talked about, but the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, one more time, if that's your heartbeat. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, that you bless this house, that you bless this ministry, that you bless Pastor CJ and Pastor Kristen, Father, with the heart and the attitude and the revelation of really who they are in Jesus, the treasure that God says you are and the treasure that salvation truly is, that, God, we will love people and we will love you enough to lay it all down that everybody else can know. In Jesus' name and everybody else who agrees that amen.